Welcome to the Progress Texas Happy Hour. Welcome to the Progress Texas Happy Hour. I'm Progress Texas Executive Director Kathleen Thompson. I'm Progress Texas Podcasting Director Chris Mosier. And I'm Progress Texas Digital Intern Haley Smith. Happy New Year, y'all. Welcome back. And welcome to the first Progress Texas Happy Hour of 2024. Certainly not a boring year so far, and I don't think it's going to be boring at all. And uh, awesome to have Haley Smith on for her very first, well, not very first, she was in on the uh, the coverage of our uh, top 10 best and worst Texans of last year, but first as a, a co-host, as it were. So welcome, Haley. As we begin the most important election of your lifetime year, the landscape of information in our country, y'all, is in the weirdest state ever. The two sides of the political divide in large measure seem to exist in their own spheres of reality when it comes to the news, viewing the sources of their opponents with deep distrust and a presumption of misinformation. You know, while there's nothing wrong with viewing any new information with a degree of healthy skepticism, the current state of news media in America is so extraordinarily divided that even the effort to verify stories by any individual person can prove a daunting task. All of this has been made alarmingly worse by the changes that have befallen X, the platform formerly known as Twitter, under the guidance of new owner Elon Musk, who, in his name of free speech absolutism, has gone out of his way to foster an environment in which misinformation can spread freely, some coming from users who were banned by prior management for spreading lies, including the current frontrunner for the Republican nomination for president. Which brings us to this week's events. Earlier this week, a group of journalists and progressive-leaning users were banned without notice or explanation from Musk's platform. Among them was one of our favorites, Texas Observer investigative reporter Stephen Monticelli, who, in addition to his terrific work in multiple topic areas in Texas, has been openly critical of Musk. And we're proud to welcome him back to tell us about his experience, how he thinks it happened, and what this all means for journalism in 2024 in the ramp up to an existentially important election year. Stephen Monticelli, welcome back to the Progress Texas Happy Hour. Thanks for having me, y'all. Stephen, let's start with the basics. Tell us what happened this week. Walk us through your experience. So uh, I've been recovering from an unfortunate bout of COVID this week. Oh, and, wow. Um, finally tested negative today. So cheers to that. Uh, and and while I was uh, sleeping in one morning, I noticed my phone start buzzing around 8.30. And uh, I thought, who the hell is calling me? It's not 9 a.m. yet. And it turned out to be a reporter I know uh, at the Daily Dot named Michael Thalen. Uh, and I rejected the call thinking I was not going to answer that at the moment. I hadn't had any coffee. It can wait. But then I looked at the message he sent me which effectively was that, hey, what's up with you being suspended from Twitter? Do you know what's going on there? And uh, subsequently, I looked at my email inbox and had like a handful of emails from other journalists as well, asking the same questions. And I, I was unaware that I had even been suspended at this point in time. So um, that's how I woke up. And um, what was this two days ago? And I thought to myself, oh, boy, here we go. Uh, we're going to see some news articles about this and today's going to be stupid. Um, so it, it kind of was, you know, it's not how I expected my Tuesday to go. Um, and uh, I, I quickly learned that I wasn't alone. There was a handful, more, slightly more than a handful of other accounts that had all been suspended uh, at the same time, quite auspiciously, uh, among them being Ken Klippenstein at The Intercept, 
excellent journalist, um, as well as some other left-leaning posters, um, and I think at least one other journalist. So, um, you know, this isn't necessarily new in Elon Musk's tenure as the owner of Twitter. Um, I had tweeted out before how Ken Klippenstein had been shadow banned after he had shared videos of Tesla's crashing. Um, I myself had been shadow banned before and that had been reported on. Uh, so, you know, this wasn't necessarily a surprise, um, but I still don't know exactly how it happened or why it happened. Um, all I know is that there are some similarities between all of the accounts uh, that were suspended. One of those similarities being that um, we've all posted things critical of Elon Musk himself. Yeah. And what do you think of Musk's uh, so-called explanation that all of these accounts were caught up in some kind of roundup of fake accounts or spam? Like, what do you think about that? Right. That seems entirely preposterous to me and highly implausible. Um, none of the accounts that were suspended behave in any way that is similar to the bot accounts that I think we're all familiar with if we use Twitter, whether you're talking about the ones that appear in the comments of any post that mentions the words like hacked or cannabis or something else, or if it's the terrible proliferation of fake porn bots, um, I don't see how we could have been sort of swept up in some sort of enforcement you know, action that targeted accounts like that. It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Um, and, and this is someone who has previously, Elon Musk has previously, uh, directly responded to, you know, people who are complaining about their favorite accounts getting suspended, um, and has provided very specific reasons for why certain accounts were suspended in the process of him sort of acting as the VIP customer service representative, uh, right. to these like right-wing accounts primarily who, he responds to. And in one of those instances, um, the account, this guy named Dom Luker, who is like a prolific conspiracy theorist and disinformation peddler, and he consistently gets slapped with um, community notes. In the instance of him being suspended and then reinstated, Elon Musk directly responded to a complaint and was like, oh, yeah, the guy had posted child sexual exploitation material. Um, in relation to someone being arrested in Australia for that. So we deleted those and we're reinstating his account. Um, you know, he's clearly capable of getting to the bottom of why accounts were suspended and providing some clear transparency about it whenever he decides it's something he wants to do. So I don't think it's believable um, that I was suspended as, you know, this sort of accidental thing. Um, particularly when we're talking about a guy who's kind of known for staying up late and maybe making some questionable decisions uh, during the wee hours right. of the morning. Um, right. And, you know, it's unfortunate also in that it appears that one of the reasons that we were actually reinstated pretty quickly is that um, some, you know, well-known right-wing accounts were like, oh, these guys were suspended and they're all critical of Israel. Elon Musk, you should look into this. And not only was that like a pretty strange 
characterization of all the accounts, which like maybe they have posted things about like, you know, it not being good that the IDF has targeted journalists. The fact that Elon Musk responded to it only because this, you know, major right wing account complained about it, I think is indicative of how things like that work at Twitter now. So if it wasn't accidental, if this was somehow intentional, what's your best guess at a plausible strategy here, a reason of it? It almost was it to put the fear of God in you guys? Was it to send a message of some kind of an example of how he can shut down what he doesn't agree with? I mean, what's what do you think? People speculated all sorts of reasons for, you know, one, how we were all targeted and two, why. Um, I think a very simple explanation for this and a plausible one is that either Elon Musk or someone he's close to, uh, someone who has the ear of senior leadership at Twitter was like, these accounts are annoying and we don't like them and we should get rid of them. Uh, wow. You know, that, that seems plausible to me, particularly given that there is a demonstrated pattern of right-wing propagandists encouraging Elon Musk to have certain accounts banned and then those accounts right. being banned subsequently. So I would say that makes sense to me. I, I feel like other speculations around like, you know, the Israeli government trying to shut down these accounts or like even Bill Ackman being mad that we all posted things about him and then getting us banned. Like there's almost too many steps involved in that logic yeah. for me to like jump to those sorts <laughs> of conclusions. It's a little right. too conspiratorially minded for me to, to say that's super credible. Um, the why could be, you know, a number of things. It could be a really dumb reason just like this was an impulse decision and there wasn't a why it could be as i think some people have fairly speculated that it's like testing the waters to see how certain sorts of deplatforming would be responded to um whether that would be tolerated uh other possible things would be like you know he or whomever wants to sort of develop this authority of like oh well, they were banned, but we brought them back real quick. And so you can trust us. We're good. It's fine. Right. Right. You know, right. I don't really know. All I know is that I think it's a pretty funny idea um, that some billionaire has my name on a list and was thinking about me potentially at 3 a.m. I feel like I should get paid for that. <laughs> yeah, you're living rent free in his head. I suppose, you know, Um and I, I don't want to overinflate my importance either. You know, it, it could also just be a, a super dumb set of coincidences. Uh, and and if that's the case, I would like to know that too. I would love to see the Twitter files on this. Right. Stephen, what, do, what does this incident say about the viability of Twitter or X as a journalistic platform? For me, when news breaks, I find it on Twitter first still. You know, it's my go-to before, you know, news alerts on my phone from the different organizations that I've subscribed to, you know, websites, it's it's still my go-to and I hope will be, you know, in the future. But also, what would you say to your colleagues in the reporting world about this experience? And I have a, a little bit broader of a question from that. You know, we know you work for the Texas Observer. Would you talk to us a little bit about um, the importance of knowing who owns your news? Right, yeah. So. Good questions. I think it's very clear that Twitter or X, whatever, has become a 
less and less useful platform over time. Uh, you have to sift through a lot more garbage. You have to curate your feed a lot more if you don't want to see nonsense. Um, you have to basically discount the for you tab entirely. Is it a place that I still find there to be some usefulness? Yeah, sure. But I think there's diminishing returns on that usefulness over time. Uh, I mean, it certainly is a place where if you are not highly media literate, you will run into a bunch of nonsense and you may not know who to trust. So for those reasons, yeah, it's it's not great. If you're like a power user, it's still going to provide value for you. Um, I still think it's a place where I can get tips. You know, I can reach audiences I wouldn't have re reached otherwise. It is still larger relatively than its competitors that are trying to displace it in terms of audiences. And it still has some features that other platforms don't that make it more useful for journalists. Like none of the other competitors even have direct messages. How am I supposed to use that for sourcing tips if, you know, I have to basically constantly post my phone number on the internet? Um, I, I don't know if I necessarily want to do that. Uh, right. So, I, you know, if, if you are not a journalist who is using it in that way. Like if you're not getting sources from it, if you're not getting tips from it, if your following's not super big and you're like not getting a lot of people to read your articles through it, like maybe you don't need to use it. Maybe it's not a good use of your time. Um, I certainly am spending less time on there and spending more time on some of the other places. Um, and, and, you know, unfortunately also the nature of my beat and journalism leads me to kind of stick around more than some others might um because being in places where i'm unwanted is par for the course for an extremism focused journalist right, um right so you know it, if they want to kick me out they should just kick me out they should just stand by it and <laughs> i yeah. have said this already before but i would have a little more respect for elon musk if he were to just drop the shtick and stop pretending to be a free speech absolutist and just be like, this is what I want to do with my platform and I'm going to do it. Go ahead. That would right. be fine. Um, right. I might still end up using a, an alt to monitor the goings on of the place. Sure. Um, but for like the average person, I think broadly speaking, it, it is a less and less useful place. If you're trying to know actually what's going on, um, who owns your media? So, very important question, something that people should think about more often, uh, because, you know, the reality is, unfortunately, that that does influence a number of things about what gets reported or how things are reported. You know, Texas Observer is a nonprofit, and so we are not really necessarily owned by anyone. And in fact, when the board tried to shut us down last year, we were able to buck that and stop that from happening. And so not even the board of directors necessarily owns the outlet um, because ultimately that comes down to whether people read it, whether people support it and continue to keep the thing afloat. So in that way, people who donate to the observer, you know, they, you could say they have a small share in the future of the outlet, even if they are never really going to get a return on it. 
the return is the public service journalism that we provide. And as we go into the election, people do need to think about this. Like, where are they getting their information from? Who may have incentives when it comes to um, what's being put out? Um, other outlets like the Texas Tribune, also nonprofit. So, you know, I, I would encourage you to try to seek out reliable not-for-profit outlets whenever you can, just because the incentive structures are are different. Um, and leading up into the election, that's going to be increasingly important because there's a lot to win and a lot to lose. And, um, you know, pulling punches is unfortunately something that does happen in corporate German journalism. I kind of find myself almost out of somewhere between laziness and discomfort zone sticking around Twitter. And you're right, staying off of that for you tab is very much essential to any semblance of, of sanity and in, in using Twitter anymore. What would you say, are there any alternatives? There were a couple of that kind of popped up, you know, after Elon took over, there were some, you know, kind of upstarts. And I think I, I actually fired up accounts on a couple of them, maybe Mastodon or some other place like that. But I just haven't uh, heard of any of those places really gaining any kind of momentum. Do you have anything to say about any potential replacements for Twitter or better alternatives for people who are looking for something that's not so scary? Yeah, sure. So Mastodon, Blue Sky, Threads, all of those places, you can find outlets that you can trust or consider reliable and journalists who I would say the same things about. The difference about those places is that you'll find less of some of the other stuff, probably. You you know, it's just a smaller pool. So you may not see as many of the weird memes that you like to scroll through on Twitter. Um, it just <laughs> depends on what you use the platform for. Um, sure. So, you know, why not? I use Blue Sky sometimes. I find that environment to be less oppressive. They have more users than Mastodon now. Um less than threads but each of these places has their sort of their own milieu so to speak their own cultural context so if you go on threads you're going to see a lot more like brands posting and then the algorithm is going to discourage certain types of controversial but potentially inf informational and valuable news and coverage um, that's pretty well documented so like you know if you care a lot about Israel-Palestine conflict, you're probably not going to want to go on threads for your information just because the algorithm plays such a heavy role. These other places like Blue Sky, they're a lot more modular and you can curate your experience a lot better with lists and other things. And so I would say on any of these platforms that have that capability, Twitter as well, you should do that if you care about, you know, making sure that you're not sifting through a ton of nonsense and garbage. Because, um, yeah, the reality is there are still good journalists who are on all of these platforms, including Twitter, even if its owner is, you know, like a fascistic toddler. Uh, that's the reality. <laughs> Maybe you should also, like, not have super sensitive conversations in direct messages if you're a journalist right. on Twitter. Oh, right. Yeah, that no sort doubt. of thing. No I mean, like, there are regulations and rules that are supposed to prevent that sort of abuse from happening. But I think we have, um, you know, seen that Mr. Musk does not necessarily care about all those sorts of rules and regulations whenever they do not serve him. No. You know, it's whatever, you know, that whole idea of like, oh, uh, 
webs are the law, you know, and the spider is the king, and they're the one who gets to break them and, you know, put them back together as they see fit. And someone like, you know, Elon Musk probably considers himself more of a spider than a fly. Um, so, yeah, he, he's not someone I would necessarily trust with anything sensitive. I certainly wouldn't give him my banking information, um, <laughs> even though he wants to turn, you know, Twitter or X or whatever into this like full That's service right. financial everything platform. The everything app. I think it's just funny to consider the possibility that my presence on the platform may actually be a net negative for the value of the platform. That's something that I like to consider because people will bring up a very valid criticism of like, why do you stay there if your presence or your content might be getting this guy ad money? You know, and, and that's a valid criticism. I think that a lot of people Makes are going to have to kind of grapple with. Um, but like, I don't know, maybe it's, it's not helpful to have someone like me online. I don't know. I hear what you're saying, um, Stephen. You know, we're on Twitter still. Progress Texas is gonna is gonna be here until um, either we're kicked off or it doesn't exist anymore, because that's where our voters are and people that we want to be voters are. So we're gonna be talking to people where they are and where they are for now. Still, some is that platform. So we're gonna be there, as you probably should, because I, I don't understand the logic of completely ceding a territory right. to like a hostile. Right. Right group of people right. even if mr musk has acquired it i mean he still has to operate under the guidelines set out by the european union if he wants to have users in europe uh he still has to do certain things he still has to you know follow certain rules and he also can lose a ton of money in the process um so you know i, I don't know if my presence or any of your individual presence is going to be the thing that you know saves the company or the straw that breaks the camel's back if you leave it's it's ultimately a, a personal decision um and if, if i can cause a little bit of trouble while i'm there it's all, it's all the better in my mind for sure we call that good trouble sure yeah you know if if i can point out that they're serving ads next to alex jones's username and then that causes something to change then i think that's that's a positive here at the halfway point, a quick reminder for you to hit our web store at progresstexas.org. It's always open. You can choose from y'all means all, Revolution, or our most popular Humans Against Ted Cruz t-shirts. They're union-made right here in Texas, of course. With your purchase, you're supporting our important work and looking great doing it. Again, the web store and other ways to support our ongoing mission can be found at progresstexas.org. So it's been a couple days and surely you've spent some time trying to work out Elon Musk's motives with Twitter. Um, what can you say about that? Do you think he has some kind of long game? And moreover, how does the average user watch out for these motives on their feeds? Mm, good question. So this is a perspective that I actually would have been a lot more skeptical to a year ago. But over time, I've come around to it. Uh, and I, I recently spoke to some other people about this. Rob Rousseau, one of the other people who was suspended at the same time as me, I was on a podcast with him talking about this exact thing. And my theory here, based on um, sort of this, the patterns we've observed, as well as key point of information, is the text messages that came out and were released as a part of the 
sort of like court proceedings that ultimately forced Elon Musk to purchase Twitter after he had promised to. Um, they showed that there is like a very clear ideological motive among people who were encouraging Elon Musk to buy the platform and that there is like a whole playbook as Ben Collins at NBC has reported for like how to turn Twitter into this anti-woke platform basically. So think about it this way. Yeah. You're one of the wealthiest people in the world. You can't like buy an election outright, at least in America, you're not supposed to be able to do that. But you could buy the platform where the journalistic class and other influencers in political media and communications are you know, really active. And then you could make changes over time such that it changes the entire balance of the discourse on that platform. And it all happened in the lead up to a major election where, you know, we had seen a lot of progress being made in response to what we saw in 2016 and 2020 around disinformation and misinformation. So much of that has now been derailed. Um, access to data on Twitter, for example, is now, you know, withheld. You can't really look at trends and patterns in the same way. And so the theory really here is that, yes, this was an ideologically motivated purchase of this platform aimed to change the trajectory of American politics and American political discourse in ways that are scalable. Um, because you can you can buy a news outlet or you can buy a couple newspapers, but or you could buy the place where all of the people who work at those newspapers all hang out. Um, so. You know, they clearly stated, yeah, we want to get rid of the blue checks for journalists and replace them right. with this more sort of democratized thing. But that's completely changed the incentive structure. So now people, you know, are paying to get that check. And then they, through the ad share platform, are paid to spread the most egregious clickbaity nonsense because it pays them literally to have these viral posts as opposed to seeking the truth. Um, otherwise, like this has been a terrible business move for Elon Musk. He's wasted so much money. He's destroyed so much value. He is appear, you know, it, it appears he's driven himself insane and he's like ruined so many years, even decades of like carefully constructed PR campaigns that made him into this, like, you know, super likable guy that. Democrats and Republicans could get behind because, you know, he's a business guy, but he's also environmentally savvy and yada, yada, yada. Now he's the emperor with no clothes and we see him for what he is. Um, so, you know, it's, it's only two things in my mind. Either it's an ideological project where they don't really actually care that much about burning the money because it could end up actually being worth it if certain things trend in the right direction. Or it's been one of the worst business moves this man has ever made, and he has shown himself to be really, really incompetent. I am less and less leaning towards that because he has just so demonstrated, he has demonstrated so clearly how much he is in the can for conspiratorial right-wing ideas like the Great White Replacement, you know, stuff like that. And the people he's embraced and the people he's willing to sort of go out of his way to support and to elevate on the platform. That's my theory. I mean, you can disagree with it if you want, but I, I feel like I've made a compelling 
argument as to like if you disagree with it well then you're basically arguing for this guy being a genius uh in no way shape or form when it comes to to business it really comes down to it's it's much less about what his uh any kind of acumen i think the guy just has so much money that money doesn't mean anything to him anymore even in the in the the enormous numbers that we're talking about for you know purchasing the platform and now what he's he's lost and ad revenue we're just you have to first start with what the guy this is the wealthiest individual on the planet you know does he really care about this billion dollars or that billion dollars i don't think he does at all i think it's a plaything i think it's a toy sure sure and maybe that's the third possibility is that it's not ideological it's just dumb it's just dumb he's treating it as a plaything and he's become obsessed with it and he's more or less addicted to you know the platform but in doing so, he's also simultaneously associated himself and aligned himself with far right, conspiratorially minded people who, who worship him. Yes, yes, exactly. They think he's so cool and he's going to save yes. the world. And that probably has something to do with it, too. He does seem to want to be liked very much. It's 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 really too bad, too, because the guy the guy is totally a you know i would say tesla you know inarguably pioneering in terms of of uh you know clean transportation spacex clearly you know pioneering in terms of uh you know advancing and innovating in in space travel and and all those things and for a guy with so much cool stuff dating back over the last decade or so to see him derail like this is on one level it's a total shame could have been the savior that he wants all of us to think he is instead he's on his way to being a supervillain yeah, I mean, it. it's not like we don't have examples in history, though, of people who, you know, on the one hand may have been titans of industry and may have been celebrated for all of their innovation, like Henry Ford. But on the sure. other hand, has, you know, that person ended up being deeply anti-Semitic and a fan of Hitler and spread insane conspiracy yeah. theories and a number of other things that are deeply unsavory and uh, highly reactionary in terms of American politics. Howard Hughes went nuts and, you know, made the spruce goose and became a total recluse. So completely different sort of, you know, problems that developed. But another example of how, like, we, we shouldn't hold people up on pedestals um, for their contributions we have we have examples in american history where we can say yeah you know we kind of seen this before so yeah he he is like a henry ford 2.0 in so many ways with the good and the bad very interesting steven this has been a great conversation i really appreciate all your insight um we should have um made sure everybody had a beer uh, at the beginning this is called a happy hour i don't know <laughs> if you're drinking yet steven because you haven't been feeling well maybe you're having a hot toddy you know i'm i'm gonna I'm going to put it off for a little bit. I really would love to have a beer, but um, I also need to be able to get out of my house. Right on. Right. So I'm right. going to, I'm going to just buckle down until I am no longer contagious. So I'm going to take that second COVID test as soon as we're done here. And hopefully it is also negative. Okay. Well, I have two beers here. I'm not drinking both, but I'll have one for you later, Stephen. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Thank you. So um, more than once on this podcast, it's been pointed out that one sure way to amplify a person's message is to attempt to silence them. And we're thinking that in the long run, this may actually benefit 
the voices on Twitter that were threatened this time intentionally or not. And Stephen, we're big fans of yours and we appreciate you coming on to tell us this story. And um, we're excited to work with you in 2024. And um, I'll have a drink um, and a toast to you and your work and all of our friends at The Observer. Um, we really appreciate the work that you all do. And we're so glad that you're still here in, in 2024. Well, I'm glad to still be here. Thanks for having me. And I guess I should thank Elon Musk for one thing, which is that being suspended resulted in a number of national outlets describing me as a prominent journalist. So I'll take it. Thank That's you, right. Elon. Thank right. you for that. You're beautiful. Couldn't have done it better myself. Progress Texas will be here through this all-important upcoming election year. Thanks to our incredible group of donors, every single dollar is super important to us. We send huge thanks to all of our regular recurring donors, without whom we couldn't do what we do. Eric Johnson, Francesca Beaumont, and Jennifer Owen are just three of those. Thank you all very much. Your donations to help us continue our important work are always welcome at ProgressTexas.org. And if you're enjoying our podcast here at Progress Texas, another great way to get active in the fight for progress in Texas is to share our podcast feed with a friend. Please drop us a review on the podcast platform of your choice. And thanks again for the support. Bye, y'all. The Progress Texas Happy Hour is a production of Progress Texas, a rapid response media organization promoting progressive messages and actions. Find us online at ProgressTexas.org and on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. The podcast is produced by me, Chris Mosier, and our featured music is by Walker Lukens. Please be sure and subscribe to the Progress Texas Happy Hour on the podcast platform of your choice. Take a moment to leave us a review if you've enjoyed the show, and be sure and tell your friends about us. Thanks for listening and for all you do to press progress forward here in the Lone Star State. We'll see you again next week.